This year, I canceled Netflix, and lots of other people did the same thing. Maybe you should also cancel Netflix, or cancel, or boycott something else. Or maybe you are not actually supposed to join this kind of cancel culture. More recently, of course, uh, we just celebrated another Halloween, or maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Either way, it's a subject of many other boycott discussions. Should Christians join this habit of boycotting things? Will this change anything in the world? Or is this really meant to change anything in ourselves? This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven, and I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven. Lorehaven.com helps readers and fans find the best of Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. And we apply the wonders, the awesomeness of these stories to the real world that Jesus Christ has called us to serve. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I am still a Netflix subscriber, so we'll get into that in a little bit. This is episode 41, Should Christians Boycott Popular Culture Like Netflix or Halloween? And we're going to be interviewing Cap Stewart today. Cap is a good friend of mine. I don't even remember how we met. Uh, We've actually met in person in Chattanooga a couple of years ago, but before then, we've known each other for a while over social media. Uh, Cap has written a lot of great articles for the blog affiliated with Lorehaven. You can find those links in the show notes. We'll also overview those just a little bit in our interview. Before we get to that interview, though, we have to discuss uh, today's sponsor, which, of course, is Lorehaven itself, because, ta-da, we have issued our new issue, the fall 2020 uh, release of the webzine exclusively at lorehaven.com. This issue includes our cover feature article, which features the award-winning author of a novel called Seventh City. Her name is Emily Hayes, and I got to read her book for the featured review of this new webzine, and I absolutely loved it. So I get to tell y'all all about that in this new issue. She also has an article exploring some of the themes of grief and acceptance and loss and some of the harder challenges that go into this uh, fantasy world, which is set in kind of this Arctic-type frontier and deals with some complex issues of invaders and cultural appropriation and oppression and lots of really good stuff. And I found even uh, reading the novel a very healing experience, and you just might as well. Get our review and her article and the prologue from the book, actually, at lorehaven.com for the fall 2020 issue. You should see that right on our front page as I'm recording this. Plus, this new issue gives you uh, 14, I think, total reviews of the best Christian-made fantasy that our hardworking and creative review team members can find. You can also subscribe at lorehaven.com to get updates about the magazine. That is free, of course. And we're planning upgrades in 2021. If you subscribe, you'll be among the first to know. You'll not want to miss what we are planning as we get out of 2020 and probably take those some of those struggles with us into the next year. Uh, we're going to try to still help you find the best made Christian fantasy and sci-fi uh, with reviews and articles and more. So, Stephen, you're going you're gonna to try to convince me to cancel Netflix, aren't you? You're going you're gonna to take it away from me. It's the only Christian option, along with homeschooling and not celebrating Halloween, absolute teetotalism, and voting how I say you ought to note vote, darn it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Now well, you're meddling. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm alluding to our, our last discussion there uh, in which uh, we didn't uh, talk about who to vote for, uh, but tried to go through uh, some of the uh, the imaginations that we have as creatures in a political society, hopefully uh, made to... Uh, hopefully striving to serve Jesus regardless. So that's our previous episode, by the way, our election day special episode 40. 
you want to go back and listen to that because we're just getting in all kinds of trouble talking about boycotts and Halloween and magic a few episodes ago and politics in our last episode. This may actually be one of our tamest topics, and uh, that's uh, in uh, no large part to Cap Stewart, who has a very balanced voice about that, a very biblically worldview-based uh, exploration of the issues of boycotting and material in, uh, in all of these kinds of media. So let's go talk with Cap now. Cap Stewart is a contributing writer to the nonfiction book, Cultural Engagement, a Crash Course in Contemporary Issues, edited by Joshua D. Chatral and Karen Swallow-Prior. Cap developed his love of stories through drama, radio, freelance writing and editing, videography, independent filmmaking, and collecting and reviewing film scores. He has written for several print and online publications, including the Lorehaven blog itself. Cap instructs online audiences on the Christian's forgotten duty when confronting a pornified culture. He has been blogging at capstewart.com since 2006. Cap, great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome, Cap. He's Thank on you. your left. I've <laughs> been waiting to talk with Cap for quite a while, uh, not just about the, uh, the pornification of culture, uh, but the more general idea of how Christians are supposed to respond and whether we're supposed to try to cancel or boycott something like uh, Netflix. When Netflix puts up, I would argue, a, a movie with some porn in it. So first, Cap, uh, let's speak about a recent uh, brouhaha. And just a few months ago, as we record this, uh, Netflix had put up a movie uh, made in Europe called Cuties. I'll just have to name it to remove all doubt. Yes, that's what we're talking about. And I would argue, and I think you would too, that that movie, despite its other goals, uh, which we have to listen to the director to see at least what they were trying to do, the movie included porn in it or soft porn, exploitation of children, whatever you want to call it. Right. You may call it come something differently because you actually wrote about this in an article back in September. So I was just curious what your take was on this movie in particular, and then we'll move to discussing, okay, what, what did people then want to do to Netflix as a result? Right. And so, as you mentioned, the movie Cuties uh, produced in France and then purchased by Netflix for worldwide distribution. And so there started to be an uproar when Netflix used some fairly provocative uh, marketing materials to promote the movie. And and that's where the uh, conservative realm in particular, where, where I'm, I'm a part of, definitely took up the pitchforks and and started uh, raising a ruckus, and you know, rightfully so. the The imagery was not uh, was not good, and it was featuring children. I mean, sexualized imagery is is bad enough. Our our culture is filled with it, but when it features underage actresses who are between the ages of twelve and fifteen during filming, that just raises a whole new level of of concern. So, um, so that's what the uproar was about. And I, I did some research just to figure out, you know, what's going on here. Because a lot of the folks were just assuming motives on behalf of the of the filmmakers and thinking, oh, well, these are just a bunch of perverted people trying to make child porn, basically. And that was not the case. In fact, the, what research I, I did and I found was that I really, really agreed with the director of Cuties on about 90% of what she said of her concern with the hypersexualization of children in particular and in social media and how they are motivated to get results, get attention, become popular by sexualizing themselves. And, and just the stuff she said, I was in, in video interviews, I was thinking, wow, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I totally, I'm, I'm on board with you. But, uh, but what it comes down to is the fact that as, as, as we 
Stephen, you and I have talked a lot about and we and I've written a lot about over the last several years is just that you can't use a a um a pornographic storytelling method period and you certainly can't use it to condemn pornographic storytelling methods it's just self-defeating and so that that's kind of uh where we come down on with like you know totally respect the intention of the filmmakers unfortunately they shot themselves in the foot and the arm and the leg and the hand just because of the 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 the, the tonal qualities they used in and it wasn't even throughout the movie but just certain scenes where these uh, twerking and dance routines were were filmed, they were filmed in a way that basically was self-defeating. And, and this really is a cognitive dissonance, uh, not just in the head, but in the imagination. If you are doing a thing, not just portraying a thing, not just acting it out, like you can act in a movie, in a character can act in a movie in anger, and the story can, in a sense, disapprove of that. The story is holding up this portrayal of anger or rage, or even murder, or even sexual sin, so long as you're not getting people uh, unclothed to show it. Like, you can have these things happen in a story, and actors can pretend to do these things, so long as they're not actually doing them, no sin has been committed by the actors, and not right. any necessarily sin has been committed by the viewer. Uh, you can actually appreciate that in a story, and the story itself can uh, help shape your moral imagination by putting this up for examination and saying, is this right? Or even putting this up and saying, no, this is wrong. You know, if you're talking about a Marvel movie, the story very clearly disapproves of Thanos wiping out half of the universe with a magic gauntlet. No one was actually dusted in the making of this picture. Whereas with the movie like Cuties and with other shows on Netflix and other outlets, because this has happened before, on uh, episode five, uh, we actually talked with Jason Moorhead about The Witcher, which is also right. another Netflix show made yep. directly by Netflix, I understand, that features pornography. And kind of the idea there seemed to be, oh, look how debauched this civilization is. But it's a, a, a debauched element of civilization that is making the examination of debauchery and is actually unclothing actors in order to do it. And we get more into that in uh, episode five with Jason Moorhead. But Netflix and other distributors of entertainment, they've done this before. Like Cuties is a more recent example, but in this case, yeah, the problem is not just that it was people being held up for sexual exploitation, but it was children, actual children. This is not computer-generated imagery, folks. Uh, they hired people to do this. Absolutely, yeah. And even the director pointed out, like, look, we had a psychologist on set, their parents were on set, which is something of an implicit acknowledgement that yeah, something problematic was going on here, but you just can't, you, you still, you can do as much mitigation as you want to, and that doesn't change a pornographic content into non-pornographic content. There's no magical formula that can do that. Right. This is not an adversarial interview, by the way, folks. Like, Cap and I have been friends for a while. Uh, he was very <laughs> gracious to read uh, my first book uh, with two co-authors, The Pop Culture Parent, uh, and actually his endorsement is uh, is on, on my left uh, in the in the book <laughs> itself. That's my joke about Cap because, you know, hey, Captain America, you know, on your left from uh, right. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So yep, yep. he's probably tired of that joke by now, so I shan't repeat it too much. <laughs> you know, I'm honored that you do it. You use it as long as you want to. <laughs> there we go. It's a thing now, at, at least between us. <laughs> As a result, like I, I, I canceled my Netflix. I'll, I will just come straight on and say that I, I canceled it. Like, and this, this hurt too, because I know that uh, Zack Snyder, uh, one of my favorite directors lately is, is making some stuff for Netflix and there's a lot of great stuff on Netflix, but the Witcher thing like really irritated me. Uh, lots of other shows that I saw on there, I just had no interest in. Uh, it was clurely appealing to the prurient interest. 
And I just I got tired of it. And it's kind of what they seem to be leading with increasingly, at least on the grown up side. Right. And I, I still have other streaming services like and that's what causes me difficulty. Like, wait a minute. Am I, and I'm being a hypocrite here because I've got HBO Max because, of course, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Right now, my cable company is paying for it or the, the Internet company. So it's not like I'm directly sponsoring that, but that only lasts for about a year. And then, OK, am I am I now you know helping to fund uh, ongoing profits for Game of Thrones, which has a lot more pornography in it than which we've written about Cap? Uh, right. It leads to some complex issues that we can discuss under the next questions here. Uh, Zach, I understand you 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 didn't cancel Netflix. You chose another yeah. alternative, which I think, by the way, is is possibly equally valid. I don't think anybody's sinning here and how they're trying to respond to this. It's just it does demand a kind of action from Christians, I think. Yeah, I so first of all, I looked in my Netflix settings and I'm like, I wonder if I can just delete or block this title from my library. And, you know, they have kind of the basic settings where you can you can block a certain rating and I, I didn't even realize this, but like, you know, they have like beyond TV MA, there's like NC 17. And apparently I had no blockers on any content. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I, I first of all, just did that, just blocked the really raunchy kind of stuff. But then I couldn't delete just that title. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if there's a way to do that. So I contacted the customer support at Netflix and said, is there any way I can just you know, hide this completely from all of our profiles. Cause I don't, I don't even want my kids like running across this by accident. Like, well, it's TVMA. So if your kids' profiles are, you know, restricted from TVMA, which they were, then they're not going to see it. But, you know, we don't have a way to actually block a specific title. And I was like, uh, how about you, you know, create that feature. And then I got on social media and got other people to encourage them to create that feature, which, you know, I know software engineering takes a while. And and then I also made this comment, well, you know, until you have that feature, well, how about you just delete the title entirely? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're like, well, you know, we'll look into that and we understand your concerns. And I, and I just said to them, look, it's not just that I find this objectionable. I, I think this film actually harmed people when they made it, which we can talk about. But, you know, my, my bottom line is I'm not really a boycott guy, which we'll talk about that. But lo and behold, a couple weeks later they introduced this feature. It was very quiet. I had to actually find it and I found it accidentally some other time. Uh, you can actually now hide that title or any title that you want. Really? I forget how I did it, but it, <laughs> I had to go on my computer to do it. I couldn't do it from like the app or something. Right. Okay. So now, Hey, at least you can do that. So the, on like a title by title basis, basically, and not so much like right. a rating, but, but on a, a title. Okay. And on, yep. On a specific title basis. Yep. Well, that's, yeah. That's, so that's I, so I just did that. So I'm like, look, I'm not, I don't ever want to see that, that show. <laughs> I don't want it to be possible to see it. Well, what unfortunately happened is that uh, this whole debacle got started when Netflix put out a poster for the show that featured the characters of the movie in their exploitative outfits. And for all you could tell, it was just going to be a, a big, you know, hey, maybe they might strip kind of show. I'm just putting it rather bluntly there. Uh, that raised some outrage. And then they said, oh, we're sorry. The poster doesn't reflect the content of the movie. We'll, we'll change it. Turns out the poster did reflect at least one rather pivotal moment of the movie, uh, which uh, most of us at the time did our research and uh, became somewhat aware of that without even watching the movie. And as a result, a lot of uh, people, it wasn't just Christians and it wasn't even conservatives. Right. Uh, started spreading the hashtag cancel Netflix. So the word they used was cancel. But I'm, I'm curious like, how much this might overlap with a word that at least Christians or, or people, you know, adjunct to conservative culture in America or wherever 
like how have we understood the definition of the word boycott in the in the past and present like Cap, like when I was in the growing up in the nineties, um, the, the big, uh, trend there, at least among some conservative Christians was we're, we're going to boycott Disney. Uh, Disney is having gay days at their theme parks. Like they're taking yeah. the lead on this issue. Uh, right. we're no longer going to sponsor Disney products. We're not going to go to touchstone movies Then we're not going to watch ABC. Like it was, it was pretty coordinated at least for a while. I think it started with the Southern Baptist convention. It spread to focus on the family and some other conservative nonprofits. And then it just sort of washed out at the, at the end of the nineties. And and this follows in a, a tradition of some ill-informed boycotts. Like there was a one based on the slander of a company logo, Procter and Gamble in 1991. Yeah. Yeah. And of course there's, you know, my favorite, the, the Harry Potter boycott, which back in the day <laughs> was done by a lot of Christians. And then now is not we're recycling it. <laughs> we have completely inverted now. Uh, Christians have discovered that, hey, maybe Harry Potter won't turn your kid into a witch. You know, it, hey, it might, you know, but it would be your kid's fault, technically. Yeah. But now the author is standing up for the biological uh, differences between men and women. And uh, and and she is being uh, canceled or boycotted by uh, people on the left. So uh, big setup for that question about what is a boycott and you know how have Christians uh, won or lost at these in the past? Sure. The, and I grew up in, I think, a very similar culture to, to you, Stephen. We, there was one particular magazine that every, however often it was published every other week or every week, had a list of companies to boycott because they did this or that and all the lists of shows and here's all the content that in it was you know, bad or inappropriate. And so we had this huge list of things that we could boycott. And that was kind of the, the culture I grew up in as well. And so I think whether you're talking about boycotts on the right or cancel culture on the left, the, just that whole idea really is, it's more, of a, uh, it's more of a consumer activity, I guess, where the whole goal is, um, it's it, like it's a political goal. It's a socioeconomic goal designed to bring change in others by, by forcing their hand because you're saying, look, I'm going to take away money from you because you're not doing what I want. And so it's really this, this, this design to like force others to change because they're not, you know, they're, they're not um, living up to a particular standard that I think is appropriate or worthy of my patronage at least. Right. And everybody does this, by the way. Christians yeah. do not invent the boycotts. You know, no. The latest iteration is called cancel culture. And everybody does this because at their best, they believe, you know, here is what I think is right. You know, I want other people to at least behave according to this standard because it is good for society. This is a common good argument. And so I'm not going to buy this particular product or sponsor this particular group because they do X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z actively harms people. Uh, I think the problem I see is, is for example, just a moment ago, I was thinking about kind of the reaction where some TV channel does something bad or something. And then someone in the comment section will say, oh, I wish I could watch that channel so I could boycott it now. You know, implication being you know, <laughs> I don't watch it, so I don't care. But, man, I'd really like to get them good. I think at our best, we would be reluctantly boycotting. It, it would be a. You know, the sober behavior of an adult who's like, I'm sorry to have to do this, but I, I really can't. I cannot uh, watch your streaming media any longer, however much I wish I could. I really wish you would rethink this one. And I think yeah. although my cancel Netflix activism veered on the, now oh, let's get them real good, uh, you know, and that Lord only knows what that might do to my soul if I gave it its lead over time. 
the best impulse would be that that reluctant, you know, more like the behavior of a, of a parent who does not want to discipline someone, but as ultimately has no choice. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not a big, it sounds like all of us here aren't necessarily huge boycott fans per se. Uh, that, you know, like boycotts aren't biblically required or biblically forbidden. It's not like they're inherently good or bad, but if ever and whenever I abstain from watching something, it is in a, I guess on a service level looks very similar to a boycott, but, but kind of like what you're saying, Stephen, my, my goal is more, I want to work on my own heart and I don't want to be a part. I, I don't want to be a party to the financial support of exploitation of this particular actor or these group of actors or whatever. I, I don't want to contribute to that just for my own benefit. I want to cultivate in my heart and in my mind a desire to, to serve other people to not just excuse, oh, well, they're just, they're just there to entertain me. You know, I, I shouldn't really care about the state of their souls because I don't really know them, even though money is passing from my hand to them indirectly. But I, I, I want to act as a, as a good neighbor to everyone I interact with, whether it's, you know, my literal next door neighbor or the person I pay to entertain me. So I, my, my goal is not so much to boycott or cancel as it is to try to basically honor God and love my neighbor as myself. Right, which is a phrase that you bring into a lot of your articles, and I really appreciate it. Uh, it it's particularly relevant now that more Christians are concerned, or at least they, they want to be concerned, or say they're concerned about being a good witness in the world. Uh, we must carefully suggest that this is part of being a good witness. Being a good witness doesn't always mean trying to affirm our neighbors wherever possible. It also means saying, no, this is not good for you, neighbor. And the neighbor, of course, as we'll discuss in a bit, is not just the other person who may be watching Netflix, but our distant neighbor is the person who was harmed in their dignity, in their identity, uh, as part of, of filming a, a show with, with pornographic elements like this. Right. Yeah, Stephen, the, the point you just made is, is kind of where I, th th this is the part I'm trying to make sense of myself. Like, I, I've always believed, hey, I have the right to not watch something, read something, listen to something. But I don't have the right to not be offended by something that someone else has made. And this, this is the big drum that I beat all the time about free speech. You know, that free speech means you have you don't have the right to be not offended. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the problem is uh, or the thing I care about is that people aren't making art uh, that harms people. And then we have to get into, well, what, you know, how do you define harm? And like Cap said, you know, the the other issue is, is it just abstaining personally or are you trying to get other people to abstain and where do you sort of draw the line there so you know and then then we can talk about cancel culture which is the well let's see what your employer thinks about that tweet that you sent or whatever right. which i don't think it, even uh, the worst uh, moralistic uh, christian you know fundamentalist boycotts i i don't recall them going after you know, people's employers and just because they said something like you know maybe i'm wrong and maybe you know this is just uh, the cancel culture people are now copying the the old efforts and it's just a culture war are all over again, uh, which brings me to my next question. Therefore, you cap is, you know, what, is there any difference uh, between boycotts and the cancel culture? And is this just, uh, if, if we choose to boycott someone, you know, is it, uh, is it for the good of our neighbor? If we're participating in what's called a culture war, uh, which a lot of people, that's a term that people use. Uh, sometimes dismissively to say, oh, right. that's, that's just you Christians, you, you conservatives, whatever. Uh, you're just trying to wage a culture war 
you know, on, and usually the implication is on non-combatants, you know, this is an unfair struggle. Yeah. Uh, You guys are the only aggressors here. Like, how do we understand this phrase culture war? And then, you know, kind of the mythology that there's only one party fighting that battle. Yeah. And it a lot of it depends on definition of terms, too. So I I wrote a fairly provocative piece for Gospel Coalition several weeks ago and going after some folks who would use that term. The bottom line is you you, you can use a term or not. I mean, like it's, it's not a sinful term to use. It's not a it's not profanity. But the, the bigger issue is like, what kind of tactics are we employing? Like terms can come and go. They can have different meanings. What is your game plan? And, and you know, that, that's what you're asking and talking about. And so is, is, is our goal here to, to not watch cuties? Is it just for our own benefit or is it also to call other people to us? And I, I think there's a lot of freedom there. Uh, I, you know, I, I write about it and, and I hope that it will have to some degree an effect on others who would read it and say, oh, yeah, you know, I was thinking about checking it out or, or whatever. And I'm, I, I guess I'm not because because cap makes sense here. And so I, I would hope through my writing that I'm going to have an effect in my circle. But the bottom line is I, I want to be really careful with putting more on my shoulders than, than God has designed. Because uh, at the end of the day, when I'm standing before him, he's going to say, you know, not well done, good and successful servant as well done, good and faithful servant. And, and was I faithful with my sphere of influence, whether that's two people, 200, 2000, 2 million, whatever, and, and I'd like to grow my influence, you know, by the grace of God to be more effective that way. But, um, but I, I just want to be faithful and I'd hope to pull as many people along with me as I can. But that's, I, I don't want to dismiss it as saying that's secondary. It's not important because it is, but also primarily what's important is I'm responsible before God for, for me. And, and that's where I need to start anyway. Right. And it is about that, that journey of holiness and that proactive desire to be like Jesus and to serve your neighbor. Like only, only you and possibly the people you know can know if that's your motive of doing that. You know, whereas if right. you're just someone in the comment section who's just looking for the next fight because you deep down suspect that your life is kind of mean, meaningless and you can only find meaning through these big cultural struggles, well, then idolatry has now infected and corrupted uh, that desire to be a good neighbor and to influence the culture for good. At the same time, that is not just an idolatry on what we might call the right. Uh, I would note, at least in the Netflix uh, Cuties case, uh, Netflix started it. Uh, I think Cuties would have flown under the radar, and maybe some people get irritated about it if they hadn't put out that terrible poster and then put put it on on people's radar. And very just, likely, yeah, it, it really was. And and that's not just the, oh well, they started it. You know, they fired the first shot. You know, now we can bring <laughs> out a, a much bigger gun, and you know, and all of it breaks loose. But there were then voices on the left, or in some on the libertarian right, uh, who said, uh, "No, cuties, it's not a problem. You know, you guys are just overreacting, and this is your your conspiracy theory about pedophiles being everywhere. You don't have to believe in the conspiracy theory to just." grimace and point at the screen where these little girls are doing this and say, no, that's wrong. And if you cannot recognize that, then your sense of moral proportion has been way more compromised than some conservative who is going overboard with the boycott or culture war stuff. Like this culture war stuff is also on the left. Uh, It it doesn't take a keen observer to say like, no, this goes on everywhere. Jesus does call us to a different approach there. Uh, but we're not just going to blame the church first. Uh, there's plenty of blame to go around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of the uh, 
as you mentioned, one of the effects of making cuties, like the whole desire she had, the director was to point out, hey, this objectification is wrong. And and yet it, it backfired where like in her attempt to to galvanize her audience to fight against child objectification, what she ended up doing was incentivizing a lot of publications and secular people to defend hypersexualized artistic expression against those, you know, those, those prudes out there. And it's actually self-defeating. Yeah, it reminds me of this other Netflix show that just came out called Puppy Murder, where in this provocative film, the director literally murders puppies to teach you that murdering puppies is bad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is a Babylon Bee article, which right. is just perfectly timed for this. But uh, yeah, you know, I I read that interview with the director, Cap, and I can actually understand that motive that she had, which is, hey, let's shine a spotlight on how children are exploited in all these other ways in our culture and especially by social media it's you know but it just came you know i haven't watched the film and i don't plan to and i don't even want to watch the clips of it but you know reading enough about it i i can understand that it the problem is in how she showed or or portrayed those those scenes or whatever right And, and i don't want to get into the details but i think there's a way of calling attention to things that doesn't have to involve those same things and i uh but you know it and again it's just it's that it's children that it, it's so troubling right yeah it's, it's troubling if it's grown-ups and as 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 cap has said and we'll get into that a little bit here but when it is children then you have pushed the opening of the overton window you know that realm of what is acceptable in uh decent society among decent folks uh, and that that will not do. And and that is, unfortunately, the next frontier in the sexual revolution or what I would call sexualityism. Uh, even in the 90s, you know, the the uh, the boycott days you know, I, w- I was hearing, oh, you know, they're going to they're going to go after pedophilia yet. You know, or it's 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 going to happen. It's slippery slope, guys. Unfortunately, now this is the future. We don't have flying cars or moon cities, but we do have those efforts. They've taken different form uh, than I would expect. Uh, but I'm, I think they're pretty much here. And uh, it is appropriate then to respond to that and respond very firmly, uh, but with that tone of regret, I think. Uh, similarly, and, and we get a little bit into uh, you know more recent event here, uh, folks. As, as we're you know, as as this episode is released, uh, we just got through another Halloween, uh, a Halloween. And by the way, when I haven't seen a lot of lawn decorations based on pandemic horror, wonder why <laughs> that is. Interesting. Uh, it could be a whole other episode uh, by itself about the level of acceptability in our, our decorations to celebrate these images of death and stuff. But you know, Christians for a while have, have said, you know, uh, let's not celebrate Halloween. We don't want to give the devil his due. You know, this is creepy imagery. It's about horror and death and, and making light of those things apart from a biblical worldview. So even Halloween itself has had a long and glorious tradition of Christian boycott activity uh, attached to it, whether it's stay inside and shut the windows and turn off the porch light or go to your fall festival the next day uh, for Reformation Day uh, at your church. I guess my my question there would be, you know, like, how do we respond to something like it's not just a TV show, but, you know, a more widespread cultural tradition like Halloween, like Christians have gone, okay, we'll redeem it or we'll reject it. Uh, or we'll ignore it, which increasingly is just mine. Like it's that my approach. It's it's just I, I I really am kind of agnostic. I don't care either way. So what do, what do we think <laughs> about Halloween too, folks? Right. Yeah. It's you know I would my personal opinion I guess would be is that there needs to be a lot of uh, grace for different convictions there, mm-hmm. and 
And now we have young kids who honestly love trick-or-treating. They love outfits. They love doing that. Like we, it's, it's a months long preparation to decide, okay, who are you going to be this year? And being able to go out and get candy and be their characters is a wonderful opportunity for them to, to role play in a very innocent way. And so I, I think there's a way to, uh, to participate in what your culture is doing without uh, dishonoring God at all. But I also know there are folks who have a, a greater conviction and, and, by golly, if, if that's a conviction for you, then certainly don't practice it. Like the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So, so don't go against your conscience if that's if, if you can't do that. Agreed. I will say, though, our last episode was about uh, Bram Stoker's novel Dracula, which I've been getting into recently. Right. And, and then I, I joked with Zach, it's uh, kind of a cage stage for me now where all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I get to hate the sparkling vampires along with the rest of you. But it's not so much the sparkling ones as the cartoon ones. That I just I see this as like, I mean, why would you dress up Mickey Mouse like Adolf Hitler? And yet the other day I see decorations of Mickey Mouse with vampire fangs and I I recoil like a vampire from a crucifix. And I say, why would you do that? This is this is at least originally it's a symbol of evil and disordered masculinity, disordered humanity. It's not cute. Uh, it's not fun. Like, what? why would you? compromise what should be like one of the worst types of villains ever. And okay, I might get used to that and I don't want to be a legalist about it, but it just seems like some of the activity with Halloween seems to be, I mean, it's basically geekoween now, you know, it's, it's like yeah. a, a fan convention, um, especially <laughs> if you're dressing up like superheroes rather than uh, evil creatures, but okay. That's the better part of it. But then at the same time, like, are we being flippant about death and evil? I mean, I think, that remains a legitimate concern. And it really is then about the heart motive of, of who's dressing up and why, you know, is it maybe not so much a celebration of evil, but just that implicit encouragement to think, Oh, it's, it's no big deal. All these evil creatures, it's, it's no big deal. And just be flippant about them. Yeah. There's certainly the potential for that to be the case, but uh, at the same time, I mean, you, we're delving into like elements of horror and there's like a legitimate place for that for Christians and, uh, you, you've talked with Mike Duran before. He'd be a great resource to give us a perspective on on like Halloween and horror and like what, how and when and, and why should a Christian engage that kind of a genre of entertainment or practice? Because I, I think there are legitimate forms of that uh, for, for, for the Christian. So before we even talk about influencing the culture and being good to our neighbors, there is a legitimate place to being good to ourselves by pursuing holiness and if these things tempt us to sin, if they do not come from faith, then they're therefore sin, as right. you quoted from the book of Romans. And in our last uh, series of not just talking with uh, Mike about the occult, but also our two-part series on fictional magic, uh, there may be a time when you have to reject that stuff. You know, It's not good for your soul. It's not about boycotting, not about teaching that corporation a lesson. <laughs> uh, it, it is about you becoming more like Jesus, even just as right. an individual. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to, it needs to start there at the very least. And they're often neighbor, neighbor, or love your neighbor concerns that, that should probably come into play quickly thereafter. Yeah. Cap, something I shared about on our episode 39 was how when I was a new Christian, I had come out of a lot of new age and occult beliefs, practices, teachings. And one day I was just reading the Bible, Acts nineteen nineteen, where a lot of people in that same situation <laughs> just decided to get rid of everything publicly. And I yeah. was like, well, I don't want to do that so publicly, but I just kind of quietly got rid of a lot of stuff. And 
not necessarily like fantasy novels or whatever, but just more like actual like teaching <laughs> books or just anything that was sort of related to that because I was trying to make a break with my old, you know, BC life. Sure, um, yeah. And and at the same time, it's like I I I become aware that a lot of Christians will do this sort of thing publicly. And you know, we talk about Harry Potter, which uh look, I'm not gonna judge anyone that wants to be public about it. For me, it was just like I wanted to get away from the things that were, were too closely associated with my old way of life and just to kind of say goodbye to that. And, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, when it comes to fiction, when it comes to art, it's not quite so clear. I, I did have to take a break for a while from fantasy. Cause I'm like, you know, I just don't even want to come near that for a time, uh, which is part of why I'm more into sci-fi now, but I still enjoy some fantasy, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that there are, there are certain genres that are really never a good idea. Would you say that, Stephen? Definitely. And and the one genre, if you can call it a genre, <laughs> that always, always uh, bears a, an exception in um, conversations like this. Like when I'm talking about fantasy or science fiction or even horror, uh, paranormal uh, stories with some controversial content, uh, there's almost always some some room for freedom of conscience there. But I think the one thing that is locked away from that is is the genre of of porn like that. That is, right. I would, I would say that is inevitably a sin, not because like, you know, what's on screen or in the picture or whatever, it, you know, has some, you know, metaphysical germ that attacks your soul, but because that, uh, the cause and effect of the effect that porn has it, particularly on a man, but come on, don't leave the ladies out folks. You know, they're, they struggle with this stuff too. The cause and effect are so closely related that it may as well be that these images, these ideas have a contagion attached to them. Uh, the temptation is just so inevitable that we basically need to treat the thing as if it's infected, uh, which is how, you know, you and I got to know each other. Cap is writing about the right. concerns yeah. with the Game of Thrones TV show, which does have pornography in it. There's no way around it. Uh, it's not all porn. Yes, there's plot lines and dragons and character relationships and stuff. Um, but it, it's got pornography in it, uh, which uh, even apart from the boycott question leads to my question of what are some good and uniquely biblical reasons to avoid nudity, pornography uh, in movies, in, in visual media? Yeah, well, the, the looking inward first, you got to start with your love for God and your desire to, to take seriously his command to be holy as he is holy. And so that, that especially is an area where there's a lot of gradation because different people have different levels of susceptibility or resistance to different uh, subject matters. And so th th there's a lot out there that, um, that you know, one person could watch with a clear conscience and another could not. And we really need to make freedom in our worldview for folks to have differing opinions there and, and different convictions and to not take our our particular set of standards and apply that to everybody. But then, as you mentioned, the indissoluble link between the fact that these pornographic images are like, it, it is just, it is unredeemable. You cannot redeem pornography into some other form that is somehow pure and right and holy and good. It's just, it's impossible. And not only does that affect audience members, but that's affecting the folks who are doing this. It affects their bodies. It affects their hearts and their souls and their relationships. And and so that definitely also needs to be a consideration, which, uh, as you and I have both written and talked about, that that's been a, a pretty big. Uh, there's been a vacuum in in at least the conservative Christian circles we, we've been a part of, where that 
really hasn't been a consideration. It's more of like what's appropriate for me. And that's where the criteria kind of ends. But that's a great place to stop and a horrible place to stop. And also, okay, if I'm paying money for this, what is that doing to my neighbor that I'm paying to entertain me? Like that, that's just as legitimate of a consideration. In fact, in, in my case, that's my main consideration now. Because if it, if it goes, if, if I can't do that in good conscience, well, then it doesn't matter whether it affects me or not because um, I'm called to love my neighbor as I love myself. And so I'm either going to not watch that at all, or maybe I'll wait till it comes out and I can get it uh, used at some place so I don't give money to Hollywood or get it from the library or something. But I, I just want to I want to consider my neighbor as well. So those are two very important criteria there, the, the inward focus and then that, uh, that outward focus. All right. We cannot start uh, or stop at that inward focus as if the art has grown on trees. And I think that <laughs> some of those discussions are simply because uh, Christians historically have just not been familiar with how movies are made. They just assume these are you know, celebrities or whatever. They're some kind of uh, distant uh, subspecies of human. <laughs> uh, who who does this? You know, if we're even thinking about the actor, and maybe we just assume, maybe trying to assume the best. Oh, you know, that actor or actress, you know, they're perfectly fine uh, with with these scenes, you know, with this kind of behavior. Uh, right. This is what they want to do. You know, they they've sold out. Uh, they you know made some kind of bargain with sin, and that's just you know that's who they are now. But we cannot treat even these uh, these distant human neighbors like this. They're not devils. They are human beings. And right. particularly for women, and this is a benefit of uh, what is called the Me Too movement, you know, we're getting more and more public examples of women who now, sometimes when it's safer to do so, are coming forward and saying, wait a minute, you know, this, this uh, photo we took for the movie poster, you know, which was sexually exploiting me, like, I was not okay with that. Uh, this scene that the director put in there, like, he only put it in there because he wanted to have power over the actors. Like, yes, I signed my contract, but I was not okay with that. And yeah. then even worse things can go on behind the camera, not just Harvey Weinstein, uh, but others. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a culture of exploiting people and making them suffer these bounded choices in order to get where they want to go uh, professionally in the film industry. Uh, that is a bounded choice, fake consent, and it uh, completely upends the assumption that the only rule we need to have for sex and romance and relationships is consent. Consent can be faked, especially Absolutely. if it's in a relationship where one person is more powerful and the other person is more desperate. There's more right. to say than just, oh, it's okay if it's consensual. Uh, no, never less to say, obviously, but definitely more to say about that. Right. And I, I think you're right. There is some kind of disconnect between how we view actors because there is that relational and spatial distance. And and like you, you even hear that anyone whenever they run into a celebrity at the airport or you're getting a taxi or whatever, what so many people say is, oh, they were just so down to earth. They were normal. And it's like, well, why are we so surprised by that? They're normal human beings. They're just like us. There's nothing special or extra or different about them. They're just they, people just know who they are. Uh, and, and, and we need to have, we, we need to fight for that sense of these people are our neighbors and we should care for their well being, especially since we are involved in this transactional process of exploiting them. Yeah. Something I try to think about is if this actor came into my home, would I tell them to do the same thing that they've done on screen? You know, of course not. Like that would be insane to make that request or that demand, you know? So, so then why am I okay? You know, I, I shouldn't be okay seeing that on screen and so hey the 30 second skip button on netflix or whatever is a great feature <laughs> like and hopefully that would communicate to the studios like this content is not great like get rid of this like there's no need for it 
You know what's fascinating, too, in a good way, is that increasingly, and sometimes you have to know where to look, I actually see some positive results of standing up to this kind of sexual exploitation. And uh, recently there was a, for example, there was a, uh, I think it was a magazine cover that featured uh, all of the cast members of a new Suicide Squad movie uh, directed by James Guardians of the Galaxy Gun. And I'm not too interested in this movie, especially if it's going to be all R-rated and, you know, kind of exploitative in another way, like, oh, you know, show up and watch these people get killed in gruesome ways, you know, because this is Suicide Squad. This is, this is DC. This is gritty, you know. Uh, I want, I'm okay with some grit and obviously some noble dark themes. Uh, if yeah. the story is focusing on heroes, as, uh, as all of my friends know, I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> but the point is about this magazine cover is I cannot recall any exploitation in it. Uh, sure, there's superheroes, there's super suits, you know, there's big buff guys, uh, and, you know, everybody's very fit and, you know, it's, it's Hollywood stuff. But for example, uh, the actress uh, Margot Robbie plays Harley Quinn. This is probably her most modest outfit, at least the way that they showed it on, on, in this magazine. And she's part of an ensemble cast. She's not the only star of this, but uh, that actress in particular, you know, playing Harley Quinn or otherwise, has been very degraded in a lot of ways. And here, uh, they're actually putting some clothes on the woman, and she looks fun. She looks pretty. Uh, I still don't get uh, the fandom for Harley Quinn as much as opposed to the other heroes, but in a world of that kind of exploitation of actresses in particular, a choice like that really stands out. And I appreciate that. And uh, I can't speak for James Gunn's heart. I know he had some big scandals about some terrible, you know, pedophilic jokes he made a while ago, but he does seem to think differently about those things now and can articulate why he's repented with maturity. And then even in guardians of the galaxy. Um, yeah. You know, people, uh, women would wear, you know, form fitting, superhero suits uh, but they were not as exploitative as may have been done uh, even if these movies had been made 10 or 15 years ago and that stands out and i think that's worthy of praise and it is an example of the good kind of cultural pressure absolutely and there there is such a thing as common grace and and even though the me too movement is not a christian movement in the slightest like there there is going to be and there has been some good coming out of it and also some stuff to critique it's like you just just as with cuties you can't you can't say this is bad and then keep promoting hypersexualized content like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. So there's there's good and bad there. But I, I agree with you. There have been some encouraging things where it's like, oh, that actress should, would normally I would have expected to be them less clothed in that picture or in that movie or whatnot. And so there is to a certain degree a, a desire to correct that. And and I can appreciate that as as God's common grace at work in in our culture. That takes a lot of subtlety and, frankly, a lot of growing up to understand that good people can do bad things with good intentions and that yeah. bad people can do good things, sometimes <laughs> with good intentions and sometimes right. irrespective of their intentions. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. cuties director, I mean, we can take her at her word. We don't have to say that she's secretly enabling the pedophiles or something like that. We can say, yeah. okay, you wanted to do a good thing, but because of your beliefs or your lack of understanding about where sin comes from, your application is going to be disordered. You're not going to understand what you're doing. You're playing with fire. The results get away from you. We can assume the best, but still tell you, hey, that that thing you made was still not good and not helpful. Uh, whereas a director who uh, has seemingly gone through that kind of stuff before and seems to be trying to correct it, you know, he's probably not a Christian, but we can still affirm that. And, right. and it just, it takes a while to get past that black and white thinking, even while we're yep. still upholding that absolute biblical standard of holiness. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the, the people on the quote unquote other side or doing something that we think is wrong, we don't need to turn them into mustache twirling villains to, to prove that we are right. Like there, there can be some overlap between even the, their motives and beliefs and ours. And, and it's just like some, a Christian and a non-Christian can have very similar observations about a certain situation, but then our interpretations are going to be different and our solution is going to be radically different. But, you know, like we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to deny that, that there's some, there is some overlap with those observations and, and to acknowledge that as, yeah, we, we agree. Um, and there's still plenty of room to condemn cuties for what it did without having to paint the director as just this, this morbid, uh, depraved human individual. So everyone, uh, this is how the modern church has done it, you know, right or wrong. Uh, I wanted to briefly ask and you know, briefly explore, how do we see the early church uh, avoiding or engaging its pagan culture? Like we're, we're not told everything that the Christians did in the book of Acts and in, in the epistles. We get some snapshots here or there. Uh, that doesn't mean that the early church did everything perfectly. In fact, the book of Acts describes many of those conflicts that arose uh, as, the, as the way, as this new Christian faith was spreading out from Jerusalem. Uh, not everything that's described is prescribed, uh, meaning you can read that they did something without being told by commandment of the Lord, uh, all, all Christians should do this for all time. And yet there's a lot of um, bits that we read about how believers could be tempted by the pagan cultures from which they came. Uh, there's a lot of discussion of those moves that they take for personal holiness. And yet I think that I read there like almost an, an implicit thought that these things are going to influence their culture in some way. Uh, but the New Testament does not set out a prescription, uh, a command for trying to get Rome to stop doing what it's doing. Like It really seems implicit there. Uh, neither condemned nor commanded. Uh, Cap, do you have any thoughts on on how the early church did this? Well, there's uh, there definitely is that uh, situation where I, for my online course about hypersexualized entertainment, I did do some research, came across Acts 19, and that's just a quite an informative story where Paul is just going about doing his normal business and preaching the gospel. And he like, I don't think any one of us who are familiar with scripture would look at the New Testament and say, well, Paul was primarily a, a political activist. Uh, he was fairly focused on the gospel and how it affects our churches and how it affects our lives. And not that nothing else was important, but that's what was of supreme importance. And so as he's ministering and having an effective gospel ministry, it actually starts to affect the lives of folks who would realize, oh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be a, an idolater anymore. So they stop buying idols and it affects the local commerce. And, and that was kind of a, a byproduct of keeping the main thing, the main thing. Again, not to say that political activism or, or boycotting or whatnot is, is never appropriate. Sometimes it may be very appropriate, but just uh, to, to keep our focus on loving God primarily, supremely, and loving our neighbor as ourselves as, as the main focal point, that really is going to affect these other areas. And I think we see that um, in, in Acts 19, as the folks stop buying idols and just other places where the gospel has a, a, a natural and powerful outworking affecting our, our practices. So it's not that the, uh, the Ephesian church was printing up scrolls and distributing them saying, don't buy any more statues of Artemis or whoever it is. Right. Uh, uh, you, don't, uh, you don't need to have that kind of coordinated campaign. Just whatever was being taught in the local church and then talked about you know, by word of mouth. Uh, this was the inevitable result uh, that people were not going to buy idols. You didn't have to coordinate something. You didn't even have a Christian nonprofit, you know, raising donations <laughs> nationwide to put out a list of uh, idol factories that you needed to go picket. 
Right. And Paul may very well have said, look, you guys need to stop purchasing these idols. That like that that might have been a part of his practical instruction. But it, it was it, it was if it was, it wasn't included in scripture. And also it was subservient to what we do know and what we have read and what we do see. And that was that the gospel is what ultimately changes lives. And you can give people a whole lot of list of rules, which won't do a bit of good in the, in the long term. But if the gospel really changes us, if we really learn to love God for who he is, if we really learn to love our neighbors ourselves, then those ripple effects and ramifications are going to affect our engagement with pop culture, our, the way we respond to it positively and negatively, and just so many other areas. Zach, I do note that the Ephesian church Christians were evidently completely not concerned uh, about being a good witness to the Ephesian uh, <laughs> silversmiths. Uh, they just ruined their witness there uh, in wrecking the economy there in Ephesus. It's really interesting, too, what uh, I pulled up Acts 19 and what Demetrius, the silversmith, says about this. Yeah. He says, uh, you've seen here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man, Paul, has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. And we see that uh, a little bit earlier in Acts 17, where Paul pretty much says that. So what's really interesting about this to me is that Demetrius, a non-Christian, understood the Christian message pretty well. So, so they were really clear in what they were saying about this is why we're not going to buy these statues anymore, because th- these are not gods. Right. And... um. And then, of course, as they say that, then other people start to catch on. Oh, wait, what are you saying? You know, and you're saying Artemis is, you know, shouldn't be worshipped anymore. Like, how can you say that? But I, I'm just so intrigued by the fact that their message was so clear that Demetrius was able to repeat it. And to me, that's the big thing I, I always wonder about. Like, okay, is what we are saying about what we're going to practice or not practice, is it clear why we're doing those things or not doing those things? Or is it just are we just coming across as adversarial or is our message getting muddled or, you know, what, what is the, the core message that we're trying to say about why we're canceling Netflix or why we're not practicing Halloween or reading Harry Potter or whatever? Yeah. Is it super clear the reason that so much so that our neighbors could repeat that reason? Oh, so far as it depends on us anyway, I, I would say that the cancel Netflix campaign was pretty clear. And any of the in any of the obfuscation going on there was coming from the opponents of that campaign. Oh, y'all are just being conspiracy. Oh, y'all don't even know the intent of the movie. All oh, y'all haven't even seen the movie, you know, implying that we somehow missed something about it. No, actually, I think the facts of what were in the movie became pretty clear pretty quickly. Uh, the clarity was on the the cancel side, at least mostly. I'm sure some people were just glomming on. You know, there was outrage. It's social media. There's going to be some unclear stuff. And it wasn't like there was a particular, you know, 501c3 group. Uh, it's a nonprofit, uh, you know, tax-free charity here in the United States uh, that wasn't them or a group like that spearheading this. And, and then other, other boycott attempts have also been very clear. But the clarity angle raises another quick question. And it's actually, for me, an argument I've had for a while against canceling Netflix, particularly because of a difference in, in the Netflix model and the technology that's involved there. And for example, if this were in the 1990s and you decided to cancel your cable because you didn't like what was on MTV, if you canceled your cable and didn't say anything, or if there weren't any hashtags, there wasn't any instant feedback, like even if you wrote a letter to the cable company, it's not going to be as clear why you are canceling your cable subscription. Whereas now, even if you keep subscribing to Netflix, 
it could be more like your method, Zach, where you're not just writing to them to say, hey, please remove this movie. I don't want it on my subscription. I don't want any mature content. I want that filtered out. Netflix then knows, you know, your your point there has been recorded in a score somewhere. It's going into the algorithm one way or another. And they want to know what kinds of shows you watch, what kinds of programming you're going to subsidize, why you're hanging on to your Netflix. And they know the stuff that you don't want. They know the stuff you do want, the stuff you don't want more directly than any cable channel in the 80s or 90s could have ever known. That's the nature of the technology. So you could hang on to your subscription and you could like, they might even know what stuff you're fast forwarding. You know, that I, I will go ahead and say that the, the um, what was it? Um, Netflix's Luke Cage, like back when that was still a thing, like they knew which parts I fast forwarded. I wanted to make them know that for very clear uh, they, they, you know, there was this nasty bit at the beginning. It was completely unnecessary to the story. Uh, it was just there to, to be exploitative. And I, I fast forwarded it. I didn't want to see it. And Netflix knows. And so, you know, maybe you can hang on to that and just make it very clear, even by virtue of what you're watching and not watching, like why you're hanging on to Netflix. Like you just wanted to watch the How to Train Your Dragon TV show. You just wanted to watch Claws again for the holidays, which is really good. I don't miss seeing that this holiday, but I'm, I'm almost <laughs> persuading myself to uncancel Netflix. But I, I don't know. Any thoughts on that before we move on to some other more general applications and then wrap it up? Well, you know, about the clarity, it, it is kind of funny how a lot of people are, I'll be generous and say, misunderstanding the reason for the cancel Netflix thing. There was one tweet I saved where the person said, oh, the controversy surrounding it seems to be fueled by QAnon types. Oh, brother. See, and anti-Semites. That's just, see, that, that, is, that is the wrong kind of boycott. That's, no, right. the, these people are bad because of reason that has nothing to do with why the vast majority of people are doing this like that's that's the bad side of the culture war there right yeah well and it you know and that's again just being generous you, you get into these filter bubbles and in these silos because of the way social media works and so you you think oh everyone must have this motivation because i keep seeing articles and of course i'm if i'm being honest i'm like okay this person is completely gaslighting everyone else yeah. Should you reinstate Netflix? I don't know, Stephen. I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I, I think it really comes down to just your personal conviction. It, it's, uh, you know, Netflix has certainly taken notice. They, their stock uh, has tanked after this. They're being investigated for criminal charges now, apparently for this film. And so look, I mean, I, I think the, the pressure has worked because again, just going back to it, it's not that we are saying, I don't want to see this or that no one should see this. It's, I, I think you've made something that actually hurt people and it, it may have broken the law. And so I, I think that that definitely crosses the line. And, you know, in terms of when you think you should reward them for a subscription again, you know, that's up to you. I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong time for that. Um, I think, I think there's freedom. What, what do you think about that cap? Uh, yeah, it, I really would think that's primarily a matter of conscience. That it, it would, <laughs> I'd be very uncomfortable telling Steven or anybody else, you know, you should or should not cancel Netflix or you should or should not keep it uh, just because of the, the, the all the variables in, involved. Um, it, it really is just a matter of uh, trying to honor God. And, and, and as, as you also pointed out, Zach, earlier, just, just with the clarity of the message, I think also comes from the clarity of our, our motives, which people won't always get to see. But if, 
if your motive is genuine, I think that is going to affect the way you communicate what you communicate, and that will help the clarity of your message. Because if you are being legalistic or prideful, that will come out in how you condemn cuties or whatever else. And, and, and I have seen some condemnation of cuties where, you know, on principle, I would agree, but also just like, whoa, that, that approach was totally like, you're not going to get anywhere with communicating with people who disagree with you because you're, you're um, just, just painting the director as this horrible person or, you know, whatever else you might say. And so I think, I think motive, even if people can't, it's not a physical, tangible thing people can see, if by God's grace, our, our motives are pure and right, that will come out in how we're expressing ourselves and how we're communicating ourselves. Well, it also matters that we recognize the complexity of these issues. If Christians withdraw from a thing, then they think that that thing has basically gone over. It is now irredeemable. Uh, if I right. cancel Netflix, my intent ought to be that Netflix then changes their behavior and then I, with happiness, get to resubscribe. Uh, it wasn't so much, oh no, we had this, then we had this movie on there, uh, that maybe want to cancel. It was of course, just that mounting dislike of most of the stuff that was on there or the stuff that tended to rise to the top on my, on my menu anyway. And not because I was watching it. I'm not sure what the algorithm was thinking there, but it was their response. Uh, the response to the cuties boycott was what's wrong with you people. You know, this is a fine movie. It won at the film festival. I don't care that it won at the film festival. Okay. Well, look at who some of the judges were at that. Yeah, film yeah, festival. yeah. It's, I mean, that, that, that tells you something there, but you know, the fact that they were in it, it seemed to be that they really didn't care whether the movie was even that popular. It was about the prestige. Oh, we got this prestigious film. It's, it's about, you know, sending a moral signal about the, the kind of fame that we're chasing here. And if that is the case, if they are being driven by that kind of prestige, then it doesn't matter if, you know, a half a dozen people watch, actually watch the movie. Uh, they're going to keep it there on Netflix for the prestige with the right people. You know, the folks who are in the inner ring at the film festivals or any of that. And at that point, OK, yes, I am going to cancel. But if I think that, uh, you know, they thought, oh, we'll put this movie on there and then a lot of people will like it and more people will subscribe to Netflix, then I. Keeping on uh, keeping my Netflix subscription, but not watching the movie and then possibly letting them know, hey, I don't want this. Please remove it from me. That would have a chance to persuade them, I think. But if it's about the prestige, then there's there's really no hope. You know, it doesn't matter whether or not I watch it. Um, I, I might want to cancel it there because then, you know, at least there's less of my money that they're using in their chase of that kind of prestige. Right. So how can uh, moving beyond Netflix or even moving beyond Halloween? Because, you know, we're, we've talked a lot about uh, the. You know, this particular incident, because uh, it's one of the biggest uh, culture war uh, news items of this year. But with that and Halloween uh, and then even some other incidences we could have talked about, like the fact that the Disney's live action Mulan was filmed in a you know, Chinese district, uh, completely ignoring the fact that they're killing people there in an actual concentration camp for Uyghur Muslims and who knows who else. Uh, with all of those incidences that we're going to keep encountering as Christians. Uh, just what are some general applications here uh, that for something like a boycott or you know, avoiding those things so we can grow? And what are some general ways that in our rhetoric and the things that we're saying on social media and with our friends in person, like how can we be a force for good uh, to help love our neighbors? And then maybe also, who knows, uh, cause some changed behavior in the culture at large. Yeah. As far as behavior goes, I mean, there are so many things we could say. I, I, again, would probably point back to let's work on our motives, because especially with the culture wars and, and again, terminology, you might be able to use that term 
with the completely godly motive to, to you know, affect your world for Christ and to fight spiritual warfare, you know, great. But when it comes to motives, like, are, are we really out to destroy the other party? Or are, are, are we out to win? Are we out to come out on top? Because that motive, again, is going to come out in how we interact and then the things we do say or not say. And one thing that has um, stuck out to me, it's uh, actually some words from Jonathan Edwards, who asks, you know, do we engage one who opposes us? And he says, um, without angry reflections or contemptuous language, and as seeking his good rather than his hurt, and more to deliver him from the calamity into which he has fallen, than to be even with him for the injury he has brought. You know, like, th- that's just a that can really affect how we approach these issues and how we approach even folks that we disagree with who, who, or who are militantly opposed to us. Like, are, are we going to respond to that militance in the same way? Oh, well, you're going to fight that way. Well, I'm just going to fight back. It just, that's not going to be effective. It doesn't honor God and it doesn't love our neighbor. And so I think motive is so, so important. Like, do we really have a heart of genuine love, even for this person made in the image of God? who is effectively fighting me and going against everything I believe, can I still treat them with the decency and the dignity they respect, not because of what's coming out of their mouth or their life, but because God has put his image in them and calls me to love them? Because that's the same way I was one to God. It wasn't because God um, was evil and hateful toward me. God loved me into his kingdom and in his family. And am I going to love others that same way he has loved me? Right. And and to briefly restate that, uh, it, if there's going to be a culture war, and that might be inevitable, because right. there is a spiritual war uh, that's going on all around us, and it does spill over into uh, the, the the physical world. I mean, we, we we do not pretend there's no conflict between you know, Christians and others in the physical world. It's inevitable, or it might be. Right. Yeah, in yeah. this case, it matters how you fight. Are you going to go into a berserker rage, or are you going to be a warrior poet? You know, the reluctant, uh, you know, not so much an artistic soul, but the reluctant person who just wants to live their life and who reluctantly picks up the weapon uh, to defend and, and, and to fight for the good. Uh, we, we must not love, uh, as Faramir said in The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, to paraphrase, we must not love uh, the bow for its swiftness or the sword for its sharpness. We need to be loving instead the homeland that they defend. And in that case, it, it, not just our homeland, our stuff, our territory, but it needs to be our planet, you know, the creation that God has made, you know, the people that he's made. If we must fight, it needs to be for those good and godly reasons and not out of that berserker rage that we often see. Right. Yeah. You know, one way we try to, I guess, interculture is through Halloween. I, I have a lot of Christian friends that don't participate at all in, in Halloween, and I, and I can understand why, and I can respect that. Uh, but I, I think there is a, a missed opportunity there, and th- this is something I've just really learn from my kids. Um, my kids love to get dressed up in costumes that they have planned out for months, sometimes since the last <laughs> yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of, and of course, cause they love to get candy, but you know, for them, it is all about the creativity. And for us, it's about getting to know our neighbors better. Cause let's face it. We don't know our neighbors as well nowadays. And we, we did, uh, well, not just cause of COVID, but just because of a lot of things happening in the modern world. And so we, we call ourselves, you know, secular practitioners of Halloween. <laughs> like we, we're not in it for all the, um, you know, the goblins and ghosts, uh, dimension, but we we're in it for the fun. And I have to think that the way that my kids interact with other kids is making an impression that we, we just kind of sidestep the whole horror aspect of it. And it's just about uh, having fun with it. So I think there is a way to engage culture in a way 
that uh, you you sort of do your own thing, and as a believer, and you're not just shunning people for how they celebrate things or how they engage in things, but you're, you're sort of drawing a line, but not making it a, not making the line, the point, you, you know, you're making your, the, the common ground is, is what, is what we try to find. Yeah, absolutely. Finding the common ground is, is not a capitulation to, uh, to a, an opposite worldview. It's not giving up your, your faithfulness to Christ. It, it, that, that's a, le- a legitimate way to reach out to people to establish that common ground really gives you a position then to to feed into and speak into their lives in other ways where before they probably wouldn't be willing to you know give you the time of day and so any place and any time we can do that i think is a great uh not only evangelistic tool but just a great way to to connect with those with whom we might not have a whole lot in common any common ground is um uh, I, I think that that can just be a, a great means of grace for us to to minister to uh, to others Cap, I really appreciate that thought, and I think that our listeners will appreciate uh, the other homework that you've done, not just into boycott culture or the the methods or the motives of that, and not just the uh, exposés of uh, some of the abuse and uh, exploitation of actors, uh, particularly women, that goes on in too much uh, media storytelling now. Like This is the right way to push back against that out of love for that person, even if we've never met them. Uh, rather than just, you know, a, a purity impulse, although that matters as well. It's about love for neighbor. It's about seeking that good for others uh, as well as our own holiness. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell people where where folks can find uh, more of those articles and what else you might have coming up. And we'll also include those links in the show notes. Sure. Most of my writing is on my blog. That's, as you said, just capstewart.com. And I did develop the online course that delves really deeply into just that whole concept of not just hypersexualized material entertainment, but how do we come at that from the love your neighbor approach, which, which isn't very popular. And so that is at christiansandmovies.com. And uh, those are probably the two main areas where I, uh, where I produce and publish my writing. I have a great privilege on occasion, of course, of writing for um, speculative faith and love being able to do that and work with you. Um, but uh, but those, those two sites are the main places where I publish my material. Well, appreciate that you are, and uh, it's great knowing you, and I'm sure we'll be doing uh, more episodes and articles in the future. I look forward to those, and I look forward to uh, the next project that you're working on. What would that be, real quick, uh, before we wrap up? Oh, gosh, the next project. I am about to write an article about uh, Selma Hayek and and her kind of career, and uh, just looking back at uh, what costs she had to pay to get where she is today. Now, that's going to be fascinating and it helped to humanize it. I don't think I've ever seen any of her movies, but I recognize the name anyway. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think I might, uh, I have a dim memory of some more exploitative media, which is unfortunate, but just reading about this helps. Even when we see those images, you might be tempted to reduce that person to some kind of a, a, a symbol of sin. Like it really helps to see what's actually going on there. You know, maybe she doesn't want to look like that. Maybe she feels like she has no choice. Yeah, uh, she's you know, you don't have to try to act like a hero to this person we've never met or rob them of agency. <laughs> yes, she's still responsible for her choices. Right. But the chivalrous Christian needs to allow for both those possibilities. That's usually mixed up uh, yeah. when someone's yep. looking like that. And then the whole thing is is so mixed up, which requires a lot of a uh, lot of discernment work to disentangle the common grace from the idolatry that's going on. Godspeed, Cap. Uh, we look forward to talking with you again. Steven, Zach, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to be a part of the podcast. Thanks, Cap. You're always welcome. 
Well, that was a great discussion with Cap today. So now let's go to our fantastic fan segment and see what we got in the mailbag. We got a message from David Umstadt, who wrote to us after episode 39, our episode about Dracula. And David says, quote, I've been trying to tell people how Christian and profound the Dracula book is. Alas, it seems there hasn't been a good adaptation that really gets Dracula. The board game Fury of Dracula is probably the best adaptation I've seen. I really want that shirt with that Bram Stoker quote on it, the one about novelist's job being to emulate Christ in long form. End quote. Yeah, that I really love that quote too, David. And, uh, you know, no promises, but, but keep your eye on the Lorehaven store. Maybe that will come in the future. If not this holiday season, then a future holiday season. It's an epic quote. It's definitely a, maybe it's a more writery type quote. In that case, it might be even better uh, to share uh, with, the, with the folks at Realm Makers who lean a little bit more in the direction of the creation of these kinds of stories rather than the reception uh, to them that Lorehaven emphasizes. So who knows? I'll pass that along and see if they want to pick that up if we don't get to it first. Next on Fantastical Truth, I mentioned earlier that the new Lorehaven issue has released featuring award-winning novelist Emily Hayes, author of the Arctic Fantasy Seventh City. In our next episode, Emily will actually join us to explore the images, the ideas, the themes of this book, and how exactly uh, she managed to know so much about making snowshoes and taking care of horses in a frozen wasteland. Meanwhile, whether you boycott or not boycott, whether you cancel Netflix or anything else or not cancel Netflix, make sure you're doing it for the glory of God, not out of anger, not out of an ungodly attitude or a reaction to everything. Always do it for that proactive focus on pleasing Jesus, whether you're trying to influence culture or just make sure that you're pursuing the nature of Christ in yourself as a person made in his image and remade to rule in his kingdom forever as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth. 